What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Still plugging away with these podcasts every single day. We also have Dynasty Baseball podcasts coming out. Uh, that is on the audio side. Of course, the written side, as I've mentioned. The guys are getting a couple weeks off as the fantasy season is over. But come uh, November, we are going to be pumping out those articles that you guys were used to throughout the season. So make sure you guys are checking out Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter and SportsEthos.com if you do not use social media. Now, if you heard yesterday's show, you know that I'm under the weather. I'm a little bit better today than I was yesterday. But we're probably not going to go uh, terribly, terribly long. Kind of a fun one, though. Uh, if you guys do follow me over on Twitter, you've seen that I've been posting some updates about a draft that I've been in. I am on the high scale of degeneracy <laughs> uh, in terms of fantasy baseball. I'm already doing a draft for 2024. I know a lot of you are probably thinking, how the hell, like, why, which was the point? A lot of it is for fun, but there is also an ability to kind of exploit some weaknesses in the market, certain players that maybe won't have the hype that they will come February and March so you can get later on, certain things like that uh, that are kind of fun to play around with. Also, I just love drafting. There's no more fun aspect of the fantasy game to me at all than actually drafting a team. Now, they are slow drafts because that's kind of the nature of the game right now. Four-hour pick clock, which can be kind of frustrating if those of you who have done slow drafts will know they're not always a picnic, but there is no big rush right now. It does give you a lot of time to contemplate your picks. You don't have to pick in 30 seconds or one minute or two minutes. Uh, you have four hours to think over your pick if you really want to take it. Uh, so it has been fun to kind of sit there and really go through my process and decide who I want to take in these rounds. We've gone through the first 10 rounds. The 10th round is just about completed. I'm going to talk about my first uh, 10 draft picks that we uh, that I have so far today. The drafts is a 30-round draft. You start 23. It's NFBC 15-team draft. It is a On The Wire listener league. If you don't know On The Wire, it's a podcast from Pitcher List hosted by Adam Howe and Kevin Hastings. They are great guys. I've been on that show with them before. If you guys don't listen to it, it is a fab podcast. comes out on Sunday, uh, either like Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, talking about the fab picks of the weekend, the best players that you can be picking up in your league, specifically looking at NFBC leagues. It's a lot of fun. A couple of great guys on a great network and Pitcher List. And this is a, a listener league. So that is the context here. It's a 15-team league, and we have the seven pick. I was picking from the seventh slot. Totally fine with me. Uh, I, I have no real big issue there. That's kind of, you know, there's a, a grouping of guys between, like Acuna's clearly number one, and then there's a bunch of guys that, between like two and eight, two and nine, that I think are all very close in value. So I have no problem uh, picking it in the seventh slot. I did get Bobby Witt Jr., I don't think you're going to be getting Bobby Wood Jr. in the seventh slot in a lot of drafts come March, uh, come February, March, whenever it is you draft. I think that he is going to be more of like a two or a three, maybe a four in some cases. But I don't think he's going to come uh, at the seventh overall pick a lot of the time. This draft, so it, once it filled, it just started automatically. Uh, you might have signed up for it two weeks ago, or you might have signed up for it and been the last person, and it told you, okay, draft starts in an hour, because that's how these drafts work once they fill on the NFBC. So the guy who was picking second didn't know the draft was starting. It was kind of crazy sitting there. Uh, the draft first started. The first overall pick was Ronald Acuna Jr. Obviously, he went to Kevin Hastings. He drew the number one overall pick. And then the guy who picked second, he timed out. And the way that the NFBC works... 
there's no ADP for next year yet. We don't have there haven't been enough drafts. The drafts that are happening are still ongoing. I don't know that there's any complete maybe one or two completed drafts, but there's no 2024 ADP up on the site. So it defaults to last year's, which makes sense. There's nothing else for it to really default to. Therefore, this guy who timed out, it went and took Trey Turner for him as the number two overall pick. You're not going to see Trey Turner go number two overall. I think Trey Turner did enough in the second half where he is likely still going to be a first rounder. It's kind of annoying because I was I was talking about it the whole first half of the season that Trey Turner was going to fall in drafts. I thought that, honestly, considering the way the first half went, you'd be getting him, like, pick 50 or so, maybe even later. There was a point when I actually thought he'd be going, uh, for full transparency, like 70 or 80. And, and I might be crazy to think that, but he was truly awful the first half of the season, especially considering where you took him. But the second half of the season, he was, like, the number two fantasy player behind Acuna, I believe. I'm not looking at the rankings right now, but he was that good. Regardless, I don't think he's going number two. Him going number two here... Kind of created an opportunity for a guy like Bobby Wood to get pushed down the board. Julio went three, Corbin Carroll four, Fernando Tatis at five, Freddie Freeman at number six, and then I took Bobby Wood Jr. at seven. I love Bobby Wood Jr. He's just going to keep getting better and better, I think. I didn't want to pay the first-round price last season because I wasn't really 100% sure if he was going to make that leap and actually return first-round value. (coughs) I prefer to play it a little bit safer if a player hasn't returned that value yet to that point and to the point of the start of 2023 hadn't, then paying that price is a little bit of a risk. Now, he did end up returning that first-round value. He had 30 homers, 49 steals, and a 276 batting average. Really, really excellent stuff. Not what we were expecting from Bobby Witt Jr., though, in terms of the batting average, in terms of the stolen bases maybe being quite that high, even the homers. He exceeded expectations, so... Kudos to you if you did take him in the first round last year, but you kind of took him at his ceiling. Now we know roughly where that ceiling is, which is the top five, top seven fantasy player. So taking him right here and getting an anchor for stolen bases, good number of home runs. We see that the the counting stats haven't been affected really either, even though he's playing for a terrible team. 97 runs, 96 RBIs. There's nothing not to like here with Bobby Wood Jr. That offense should generally get better. Vinny Pasquantino is going to be back. You should probably see better things out of MJ Melendez. I think they're going to be probably a little bit better. So there's a decent chance we see him go over 100 runs, 100 RBIs, 50 steals, 30 homers, and pretty much replicate what he did. So I have zero problem taking Bobby Witt Jr. as an early first rounder uh, in 2024. Now, my second round pick was Corey Seager. I love Corey Seager. What he did this year was honestly ridiculous. Like, even though he didn't steal any bases... And even though he missed a good chunk of the season, like he ended up playing 119 games. He missed a quarter of the season. That's a really solid chunk of it. Corey Seager was still the number 21 ranked player if you look at the Razzball player rater. If you even think that Corey Seager can play 130 games next season, and I think there's no reason to, to think that he won't, like 130, 140 There have been some injuries in the past with Seager, but I think generally that's what we're going to look at and project for him, 130, 140. We could easily see 40 homers, 100 runs, 100 ribbies. Maybe he chips in a steal or two, and we know that batting average is pretty ridiculous. 327 this year. He obviously just missed out on the batting title. 292 career hitter. The only thing that's really kind of in question a little bit maybe is the health. 
I don't really think it's going to be something that I am that worried about heading into next year, as long as he enters the year healthy. I'm not just going to randomly project him to get hurt because he's been hurt in the past. There are some players where you can make that kind of assumption. Your Chris Sales, there are certain players where you kind of just know they're going to get hurt. Corey Seager has a lot of full seasons under his belt. 2022 was 151 games. You know, this season, once he came back, he was healthy and he was excellent. So there's no reason to think that he is necessarily going to miss time. Maybe he does miss a little bit, but even if he does miss 20, 30 games, that value that he is providing is still so utterly ridiculous. So even though he doesn't steal bases, I think pairing him with Bobby Witt Jr., who does have a slightly lower batting average, and Bobby Witt Jr. may end up going back to like a 260 kind of range, I can put him there, and they kind of offset each other. Corey Seager probably will bat like 310. You know, if we're uh, you know projecting some regression there, 310, 315 maybe. I mean, he's batting 417 in the playoffs so far. Uh, he has been crazy through their first four games. He has, uh, what is it, five hits in his 12 at-bats. He's walked nine times. There was that five-walk game the other day. He's a stud. He's an absolute stud. He's still young. He's still 29. He'll be 30 at the start of next season. Nowhere near any kind of starting to worry about uh, dropping off a cliff or any anything close to that. Great lineup. There's nothing not to like here with Corey Seager as a second-round pick. I was very happy to be able to get him. I think that's a really nice pairing, Witt and Seager. Now, the only thing is, Bobby Witt Jr., this year, you might have used him as your third baseman in drafts, uh, in, in your lineups. He's not going to have third-base eligibility next year. He didn't play there a single time in 2023. So definitely plan for that. Uh, I'm going to have to use one of them as a middle infield spot or utility, which it, it doesn't really matter. The NFBC teams are deep enough. Like, if you're in a really shallow league or if your roster construction or the way that your league settings are, that you only have one shortstop spot and then, like, no utility, then don't do what I just did here. Because there are weird con- configurations for leagues. Sometimes you'll see that. Sometimes sometimes uh, you will see a manager or the commissioner set the league up so that there's no utility or maybe one utility. If there's one utility, you could argue that this is totally fine, and I would argue that because the players are good enough where I'm not like, oh, shit, I have to start Corey Seager and utility. Like, that, that's that's not an issue. People kind of downgraded Otani because of that sometimes. Some people did anyway. There's no need to do it. Otani, utility, uh, whoever in your utility, if they're a stud, it, it doesn't really matter. But in this case, you, in the NFBC, I do need to fill that middle infielder slot. So one of them will go there. I have no problem. Just do watch out, uh, especially if you are drafted for next year. A lot of these sites and the NFBC as well, like they still have this year's positional eligibility. That gets updated in the offseason. So you have to be very aware. Like Dalton Varsho will still show up as catcher eligible. He's not catcher eligible anymore. So definitely be aware uh, when you are drafting early, if you are drafting early, that these eligibilities, uh, if you're playing on certain sites, might not be set in stone yet. You have to do that math yourself and go and check out the requirements for eligibility on that site and see how many games the player played. Uh, But those are my first two picks, Bobby Witt Jr. and Corey Seager. Moving into round three, I wanted to take a pitcher. I was really hoping that I would get Kevin Gosman. He did go off the board. I went with Zach Allen. Zach Allen is incredibly solid. There is no reason to think that Zach Allen can't do exactly what he did again next year. What he did is completely sustainable. He plays for a very, very solid team. We're seeing how solid they are right now. They're a win away from going to the NLCS. He's just excellent, right? He's pretty much exactly what the stats tell you. 347 ERA. The expected stats are right in that same range. 418 XERA. 327 FIP. 349 XFIP. He gives you excellent strikeouts at 26%. He's only walking 5.5% of batters, even if that goes up a little bit to like 6 7%. 
There's no real worry there. He's a good whip guy at 1.12. Everything is very solid. I'm a huge Zach Allen fan. I think he's an easy top 10 starting pitcher for next season. And based on where I took him, I guess I rank him even higher than that because the pitchers that went ahead of him were Garrett Cole, Spencer Strider, uh, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gosman, and then Tyler Glass now. So I took him as the sixth overall pitcher off the board, and I, and I feel pretty good with that. I could have gone Zach Wheeler. I could have gone George Kirby. I could have gone maybe Corbin Burns. Uh, all those guys are pretty close in my eyes, but I'm very happy uh, to take away Zach Allen there. I think that team is just going to keep getting better and better around him, and there's no reason uh, not to want to get in on some Diamondbacks, if you can, and Zach Allen is probably – you know, the obvious best pitcher that you can get in on uh, with that team, I think, at this point. Maybe not from a value perspective, but from a talent perspective, Zach Allen, uh, an easy, easy pick here for me in round three. He'll probably be going in the second round by the time the draft's really kicking the gear next year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's six around this range, but uh, I'm happy with getting an ace there in the third round. Round four, I went with Kyle Schwarber. I wanted to start taking an outfielder. These are five outfielder formats. Outfielders get once they start going they go quickly and once they're gone it is really really terrible trying to find these guys who are awful uh you know because guys some people will take outfielders early and then they'll put a couple on their bench they'll put one in their utility slot you might be putting guys in your starting lineup in one of these leagues that's like outside of the top 100 outfielders in the league in the game and you're just stuck you have nothing to do you have to hope to maybe make a pickup throughout the season of an emerging player but in these five outfielder formats you got to start taking them uh earlier than later kyle schwarber we've seen it the last couple of years what he's done with philadelphia 46 and 47 homers 100 and 108 runs 94 and 104 rbis the batting average is not good the batting average is terrible but i don't think that he is going to hit 197 again i think that would be kind of crazy if it was that low even if it goes back up to like 220, 230, you're looking at really good value on Kyle Schwarber if you're getting him somewhere here in the 50s. Kyle Schwarber this season was a $24 player if you're looking at auction values in 15-team leagues, $23.8. That comes in as the 39th ranked player. That came with zero stolen bases from Kyle Schwarber, and that came with a sub-200 batting average. The year prior... He had a 218 batting average and 10 stolen bases. Even if we split the difference there, let's say he bats 210 and he steals like four, even three bases, four bases, and he stole zero this year. So maybe that's projecting a little bit too much, but even if it's two or three, you're looking at a top 30 player pretty easily that you're taking there in the 50s. There's no reason to think the power is going to start going away. Kyle Schwarber is somebody that I honestly, he seems like an older guy. He seems like he's been around forever. He's only 30 years old. He's going to be 31 years old next year. But there's no reason to think, barring anything health-related, that he can't go for another 40 homers and 100 and 100. At that rate, I'm getting a, a pretty decent bargain, I think, in the fourth round. This is generally where he's going to go. I don't think that there's going to be too much movement up or down from this. He's generally, I think, going to be a fourth-round player, and I think that there's just nothing wrong with taking somebody who is maybe a little bit more on the boring side, for sure, but somebody that you kind of just know their stats. You're going to be essentially writing it down in pen before the year, what Schwarber's going to do for you, and you're going to be pretty happy with it. So no problem here uh, in the fourth round, in the 50s, in the overall kind of range, 50-something overall. In the fifth round here, I went back to another pitcher. It was something that I struggled with this past season, was waiting a little bit too long on pitching maybe. There were some guys that you could 
wait on your Gallons, your Gosmans, and there were and your Luis, Luis Castillo. There were guys that you could wait on that were certainly going to help you. But I think I waited maybe a little bit too much and not really securing a couple of anchors for my team. And then I relied too much upon having to stream, and especially in a 15-team league, if you are reliant on streaming pitchers every single week to find viable options for your lineups, you're not going to be successful a lot of the time, unless you really get lucky. And you can only get so lucky with streaming starting pitchers in 15-team leagues. So I took my second starting pitcher, and I took Logan Gilbert. I feel really good about those two guys. They're both very stable. They're not the sexiest of names, Gallon and Gilbert, but they are just guys that I think are very reliable and not guys that are going to have too much variance generally. You're going to get roughly a three and a half kind of ERA from them. 373 is what we got out of Gilbert this year. The indicators were all in that same kind of 3.3 range, or excuse me, 3.7, uh, 3.6 kind of range. All like that's generally what you're going to get. Last year was 3.2 ERA. I think you're going to get something kind of similar going forward. We saw the strikeout rate go up a little bit. We saw the walk rate go down a little bit. Therefore, we saw that whip come in at 1.08, 24.5% K rate, 4.7% walk rate. Really good pitcher who was a part of a really good rotation, and even though it didn't go the way that they wanted it to or thought it should, maybe should have gone uh, down the stretch for them, they're a very good team where you can probably chalk in you know, upwards of 10 victories for him without really having to think twice about it. And that's not something you can say for a ton of pitchers as you go down the board, specifically in these 15-team leagues. 13 wins each of the last two seasons, you'll take it. 185, 190 innings, very solid. Very, very solid volume and solid per-inning value from Logan Gilbert here. Again, and it's kind of a theme with my team, generally kind of boring I'm not really going out on a limb to push up guys. And there were guys that got pushed up. Royce Lewis went in the third round. I've tweeted out some of the more interesting picks. You know, Tariq Skubal went in round four. Matt McLean in round five. Yuri Perez in round five. We saw some really interesting picks that were guys that are getting pushed up a little bit. Nolan Jones went in round four. You know, we saw guys get pushed up. And I agree with some of them. Some of them I don't. But for the most part, I wasn't really doing that. I was just taking the more boring guys that I think are going to be more reliable, more stable come next season, as opposed to the high ceiling, low floor type plays. And I think Logan Gilbert and Zach Allen really fit into that build for me here that I think is going to be pretty popular with my teams going into next year. Just play it safe. Don't go too crazy reaching or projecting uh, massive monster seasons from guys without huge track records. And that's maybe going to change throughout the offseason. We'll have to see as I go through my process and my own projections, but that's where I am right now on it. Round six, I decided to start in uh, the relief uh, pitcher category, start going for some, I mean, it's the NFBC, so it's all just pitchers. They're not separated by category, but I wanted to go and get myself some saves, go get a reliever, and I went with Alexis Diaz. Alexis Diaz maybe overperforms his numbers a little bit, but not really to the point where it's that much of a worry for me. His XERA was 3.43. His FIP is 3.52. His XFIP is a little high at, at 4.20, but I'm not really too, too worried about that uh, when you look at everything else. Sierra, 3.76. I'm not really looking at XFIP too much uh, in Great American Ballpark as a Reds pitcher. you got to look at the actual kind of results that he's getting, and for whatever reason, they've actually been really, really good. I know it's kind of paradoxical almost to look at it and have a low home run uh, per nine rate in Great American Ballpark, but 0.53, 0.71 last year, 
Always been a guy that's able to suppress the home runs. Massive strikeout numbers, even though it does come with a lot of walks. But in 70, what was it, 71 games pitched this year, 67 innings, you are looking at 86 strikeouts. You're also looking at 37 saves. He only blew three of them. He was very consistent for an up-and-coming team that's just going to keep getting better and better. I think I anchored in 30-some-odd saves and the potential for maybe even 100 strikeouts as he gets older and gets potentially a little bit better. He just turned 27 uh, at the end of last month. So I don't know that he's even done growing. We see how great his brother is. Very similar style kind of pitcher uh, to his brother. No real surprise there. I think he can just keep getting better and better, and I like uh, securing at least one relief pitcher at this point. I didn't want to wait too long because a common theme with drafting, you guys know this if you've done enough of them, once one closer goes off the board, it generally sparks an oh shit kind of thought in every other manager's head, and then everybody starts to take closers. That's not always how it works, but generally from experience, Uh, There's a closer run that generally happens at some point, and I didn't want to be left uh, holding my you-know-what when there was no other closers left. So I went with Alexis Diaz. There are still a couple guys left on the board, uh, but generally this is when all of the guys, your Bednars, your Romanos, your Seawalds, Ryan Presley's of the world started going off the board, so I'm glad that I did secure my guy here in Alexis Diaz. Went with another Philly in round seven. I went with Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos, again, very solid, just old man at this point. Maybe not. Maybe that's not fair. He's only 31, but just solid, older, reliable guy who I pretty much know exactly what I'm going to get. I'm going to get roughly 25 to 30 home runs, probably going to see in the 70 to 80 run scored range. Probably like 100 RBIs is a very reasonable projection. It's not even like saying all that, you know, that's crazy that 100 RBIs to project that. Not many guys get it. Well, he had 106 last year. The year before was a down year, his first year in Philly. 100 the year before. He's hit 100 in a couple other seasons. Like, he is somebody who can consistently do it. And in a lineup where he's going to be batting along the likes of Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Stott, Bohm, Real Muto, it's stacked. There's no reason to think he can't get back there. The batting average is always going to be pretty stable, too. 276 for the career, 272 last year. You're always kind of looking at 270 kind of batting average for him. And he is somebody who benefited a little bit from the stolen base rules. He stole 11 bases last year, surpassing the double-digit number for the first time in his career. So I think there's a lot of stability in another old guy here in Nick Castellanos, penciling in you know good production across the board, kind of a low-end, five-category guy. And I say low-end because the steals aren't really great. But if he pops even another 10 steals, eight even, I'll take that to go along with everything else that you're going to get from Castellanos. So I like him a lot here as a seventh-round pick. I think it's honestly probably a little bit later than he's generally going to be going. I don't know that he's going to be going that. I mean, maybe, maybe this is where he's going to settle in, but I think he's going to get pushed up higher uh, in certain drafts. There's no reason why he shouldn't be. Next round, round eight, I got, I think, a huge bargain here in Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz was excellent. This whole season, he batted over 300 in every month of the year. That's the kind of consistency that I want when I am projecting forward for next year. And especially that's kind of become my my process this year is just looking for that kind of consistency. I know he's going to miss some games and we've seen it the last couple of years. You're, You're looking at 25 or so games he's going to miss. 137 this year, 137 in 2022, 134 in 2021. He also, I mean, I know the power wasn't something that sustained the entire year, but he still ended up hitting, what was it, 22 homers? 22 homers for the season. 
I know a lot of them did come early on. We saw seven of them in March and April, and then five of them in May. Only nine of them came in the second half. But even if he's able to do something similar to that, I don't think you can project a lot of power. But even if you're looking at like 15 home runs, 17 home runs maybe, I think I think 17, 18 is a fair projection. You're going to get somebody who's batting around 300, roughly. I know he batted 330 this year. Projecting 330 is probably a little bit lofty. Let's say 310. You're getting great batting average. You're getting a lot of runs batting atop of a great lineup. And he's been able to sustain pretty decent RBI numbers as well. 78 this year, 57 last year, 64. It's not incredible, but the price that I'm paying to get four pretty decent categories, specifically batting average, at this point in the draft, I think it's a really good bargain to be able to get Andy Diaz past pick 100. And I don't know that you're going to be able to do that once the season starts, especially if you look. I'm just going to pull up uh, Rasball and see where he finished last year. He was pretty damn high up. That batting average does get weighed fairly heavily. There's not a lot of guys who can hit that range. Uh, he was a $22.5 player. You are looking at 44 on the rankings. He's tied with Logan Webb there at 44. He was excellent. I think getting him outside of the top 100, even if you kind of regress the power a little bit, it's totally fine by me. I really like uh, getting Yandy Diaz here uh, in the eighth round. Really, really like that pick. Moving into round nine, this is where I kind of just went with my gut a little bit. I took Dylan Cease. I did want to have another pitcher at this point, and they were starting to go off the board. Joe Ryan, Tanner Bybee, and Michael King went right before. Bobby Miller, Joe Musgrove, Gavin Williams, Jordan Montgomery, Carlos Rodon, Scherzer. These guys were all going in this range. There was a huge pitching surge that really started in round five, and then we started seeing about half of the picks in each round be pitchers, uh, at least half of the picks. And there was certain rounds, like round six, you're looking at one, two, three, four, five position players. A lot of pitchers were going off the board. So I did want to have some security of having another guy that I felt pretty confident about. Now, now Dylan Cease is not somebody that I have uber confidence in. We saw not a great season from him this year, admittedly. That being said, you got 177 innings. You got 214 strikeouts out of him. The 458 ERA is not great. The 142 whip is brutal. But this is probably the worst season we're going to see from him for a while. If you look, and again, he is an inconsistent pitcher. He's not somebody that you can look at and, like I said with the guys earlier, write their numbers down, which is I'm, I'm looking more for those kind of names, the guys that are, you know, write the stats down, generally can project what they're going to do before the season. Dylan Cease give you a 458 ERA. That came with a 407 XERA, a 372 FIP, and a 408 XFIP. Not bad. Pretty solid, all things considered. His Sierra was 410. I think he's probably true talent. Somewhere in like the three, like his career ERA is 3.83. I think that's pretty much exactly what you can expect out of Dylan Cease. Somewhere just below a 4 ERA who's going to give you a hell of a lot of strikeouts. I think there's also a chance, potentially, that the White Sox trade him. So I don't really know what's going to happen with the White Sox, but that is a possibility, I think. Um, I'm not sure. I think he's a free agent in 2026. So he's got a couple of years of arbitration. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. That's just total speculation. But it wouldn't shock me at all if the White Sox do elect to trade him. And any situation other than the White Sox is probably going to be a positive for your value, even if he doesn't get traded. He's going to be better than he was last season. 
He just is. I mean, I maybe that sounds stupid, and it probably is stupid to say it in that way, but he is not a four, five, eight ERA pitcher. We saw early in his career when he was really not striking out batters and the control was truly, truly terrible. That was closer to what the numbers were over his first couple seasons. But 2021, you're looking at a 391 ERA. 2022 was a 220 ERA. He's not a 220 ERA pitcher, but he's certainly not a 458 ERA pitcher either. He's somebody who's given you 200 strikeouts in each of the last three seasons. And there's no reason to think that he won't, given an average workload. He's done it in 165, 184, and 177 innings. And he surpassed it pretty handily, 226, 227, and 214. He's still striking batters out at a very good rate, 27%. Not quite what it was, 30, 31%, but still 27% is among the league leaders. The walks are just about what they always were at 10%. I want to secure the strikeout category. It's something that I struggled with this year. I struggled with just having pitchers that I was confident in throwing out there every week in general. And with Dylan Cease, even if there is some variance, I think every single week you have that upside of the strikeouts, knowing that even if he does get torched one way or another, you're going to get the strikeouts. And there's a lot of pitchers that you can say, well, there's not that kind of security that you know you're going to get strikeouts one way or the other. They might get blown up and have zero Ks over three innings. But with Dylan Cease, he might throw three innings and have a bad outing, but he's probably going to throw you at least six strikeouts in that time five, six strikeouts to kind of compensate for it. That's not the only reason you go for it. I also just think he is a lot better than what we saw this season, and I'm kind of hoping that we do see that going forward. Still a 3.7 war pitcher in his worst year. It's not terrible. And war is not fantasy value. It's not at all. But he was still very good, even though he was very bad, if that does make sense. And maybe I'm just trying to talk myself into Dylan Cease, but I do think that once you're getting to this kind of range, when you're getting him in round nine, and you're talking about pick 130 or so, like you can't really go that wrong uh, with taking Dylan Cease at that point, in my opinion. Now we're on to the last round. Well, not the last round of the draft, but the last round that we have completed up until this point. I wanted to take a catcher. Uh, I There weren't that many catchers that had gone off the board. They're really, like, I for starting early, I mean, I might as well just start from the top here. Um, Adley Rutschman, William Contreras, JT Realmuto, Will Smith, those guys were gone. Other than that, there were no catchers that were taken. We are in the 140 range overall. 149 overall is the next pick in the draft. I don't want to be left with scraps for catchers. I wanted to take someone that I'm very confident throwing in the lineup every single week of the year. And I took Wilson Contreras, feeling very confident about that. You know, he had a very bad start to the season. It was very well documented. They talked about maybe he was going to the outfield. It was a total, total shit show. And that was kind of just St. Louis this season. Will they continue to be that shit show? I'm not sure. But regardless, even with that terrible start and with the overall general kind of nonsense, 20 home runs, 56 runs, scored uh, 67 ribbies in a 264 batting average. That's fine. Six stolen bases as well. Also a career high. It's solid. It's solid, and it's in a very good lineup. And he also, once he got going, like second half of the year, he batted three oh nine. He hit half of his home runs. He had you know a really solid stretch um, once you look at post-All-Star break. And I'm talking half of his home runs. You might say, well, the second half of the year. Only 45 games played in the second half of the year where it was 78 in the first half. And he pretty much equaled his, you know, his output, fantasy or otherwise, in that time frame. 
really, really like Wilson Contreras. Maybe I reached a little bit early, but I also didn't want to be left there where someone takes a catcher and then there's a bunch of other catchers that go off the board. So, And it's a two-catcher league. I still need to secure another one. There are not that many viable catchers. So getting one of the top seven or eight in my eyes, especially at this point in the draft in round 10, I think it's a very solid uh, pick there with Wilson Contreras. But just to recap, once more, Bobby Witt Jr., Corey Seager, Zach Gallen, Kyle Schwarber, Logan Gilbert, Alexis Diaz, Nick Castellanos, Yandy Diaz, Dylan Cease, and Wilson Contreras. Those are my first 10 draft picks of the 2024 season. We'll see how it works. Maybe these guys will all get hurt before the season starts. Maybe they'll all get traded. Maybe they'll all be starting the All-Star game next year. That's the fun of it. You really have no idea at this point of the year. I really recommend getting into a draft if you want to. NFC.com, I think it is. Uh, Just look up National Fantasy Baseball Championship if you guys are interested. They also have basketball drafts, hockey drafts. I know hockey starts tonight, but the hell with hockey. The NHL's crap anyway. Nothing to really look at there. Uh, but if you're playing fantasy, uh, those guys are where you can be going right now to get in some tournaments. You're playing for real money against real people. It's a lot of fun, uh, so definitely be checking it out. But that'll do it for us. Uh, check me out over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where we post these podcasts and all of our other fantasy baseball content from. If you guys are not on Twitter, please go check out SportsEthos.com. Until tomorrow, guys, take care. Have a great night, and cheers. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com listen.